0: As a business owner, there's never a shortage of people ready to offer their advice on how to run your business. But not all advice is good. Today we'll talk about hiring, management, and other HR advice that makes us cringe. I'm Kara Murray, and this is HRpreneur, a podcast by ADP. You work incredibly hard to support your employees and make your business a success. More than likely, this means you wear lots of hats, and one of those is probably HR professional. We're here to help you get the insight you need in order to tackle day-to-day workplace issues. This week, I'm joined by Kristen LaRosa and Merrill Gutterman. Both work as counsel for ADP Small Business Services. I also want to thank the ADP Client Appreciation Program for sponsoring today's episode. You can earn free payroll by referring ADP, and if you want to find out more, you can talk to your local ADP sales representative. So, Kristen and Merrill, what's the worst HR advice you've heard?
1: Oh, wow, there's... <laughs> so many. Um, There's just a lot of advice out there that's not good. Um, But one example that comes to mind is the idea that you should reclassify your employees or simply hire workers as independent contractors in order to help save money. Uh, We've seen a lot of businesses going in this direction, especially when you look at workers who are part of the gig economy.
0: Well, that sounds uh, pretty enticing for any employer.
1: It is. Uh, Independent contractors are great. They save employers from having to pay certain payroll taxes, provide benefits, uh, meet minimum wage and overtime requirements. But the reality is only a small percentage of workers actually qualify for independent contractor status, and the penalties for misclassification can be quite significant.
0: So how can an employer accurately make this assessment?
1: Yeah, this is a tricky area of law because there's no one universal set of criteria for employers to rely on. That said, Generally, the more control a business has over where, when, and how the worker performs work, the more likely they are to be considered an employee and not an independent contractor. And there are a number of federal and state tests that employers must consider when they're making this assessment. So for example, businesses have to consider the IRS common law test when they're trying to determine how to classify a worker for purposes of determining whether to withhold income, Social Security and Medicare taxes. However, to determine whether someone is an employee who is subject to protections under the Fair Labor Standards Act or the FLSA, an employer may have to rely on a different test such as the economic realities test, which is used to determine whether the worker is dependent on the business to which they provide services. So it's a very gray and complex area You know, we usually tell clients uh, or employers if they're not sure how to designate a worker, it's always best to err on the side of caution and classify them as an employee.
0: Great. Thanks, Kristen. That's definitely some really good information for business owners. All right, Merle, what about you? What's the worst advice you've heard?
1: Well, as Kristen
2: mentioned, yeah, there's a lot of bad advice out there. Um, I don't know if this is the worst advice I've heard, but it's certainly among the most common and concerning. Um, And that is if an employee didn't get authorization to work overtime, then you don't have to pay them overtime.
0: Wow. So what if the employer has a policy that overtime must be authorized in advance?
2: It's a great idea to have that policy, but it doesn't relieve the employer of paying for overtime worked. So the employer could discipline the employee for working unauthorized overtime, but under no circumstances can the employer withhold
1: overtime pay. Okay, good to know.
0: So, Kristen, what other pieces of advice have you
1: heard? So recently, we uh, had an employer who asked whether they can give their non-exempt employee comp time instead of paying them overtime for the hours that they worked, which is a problem because this is not a permitted practice. Employees can't relieve employers of this responsibility by electing extra time off over overtime. You know, even if they try to do that, employers will still have an obligation to pay overtime uh, and employees can't agree to waive this right, for example. Right. And while we're on the topic of pay, um, there's
2: another misconception floating around that I wanted to mention, and that is that employers can hold a departing employee's final paycheck until that employee returns company equipment. But the fact is that regardless of whether an employee has failed to return company property... The employer still needs to meet final pay deadlines, and federal law requires that final pay be paid at the next regularly scheduled payday, and then there are states who might also require final pay even sooner than that.
0: How about deductions for the unreturned equipment? Is that allowed?
1: So I think that depends on, on the um, type of employees. So if you have non-exempt employees, the FLSA permits deductions for unreturned equipment Uh, as long as those deductions don't reduce the employee's pay below the minimum wage or cut into any overtime that they might be entitled to. Um, But some states prohibit this practice, so as an employer, you want to make sure that you're looking at your state law before you're making any kind of deduction. With exempt employees, it's uh, fairly straightforward, uh, and you can't deduct uh, from an exempt employee's pay for any unreturned equipment. Right. You should also get an employee's
2: written consent before you go ahead and make a permissible deduction. Um, the agreement that you put in place should specify the items for which deductions are going to be made, whether it's company uniforms or equipment, or if it's because of employee theft. You should also make sure you're putting in writing the amount of the deduction and how you're going to determine it. And before you go ahead and make any deduction, because this is a, a real um, difficult area, we recommend that you consult with legal counsel because the rules are tricky. Okay. What other bad advice have you heard?
1: Oh, so I recently uh, had an employer who told me that they read online when new hires complete the I-9 form, they should require a U.S. passport since it provides both identity and work authorization and is usually harder to forge than some of the other documents. So employees have the right to choose which documents they want to present in order to confirm their eligibility to work in the U.S., provided that they're on the I-9's list of acceptable documents. So as an employer, you can't specify which documents the employee needs to show you.
0: Got it. That's a really great example of relying on the web to get answers. But unfortunately, you know, we know that not all information available online is accurate. All right, Merrill, can you think of any other examples of bad advice you want
2: to share? Oh, sure. Um, Well, when we're talking about new hires, um, I've heard a lot of employers think about putting new employees through a probationary period, um, and that while it may seem like a good option for assessing a new hire's performance, it isn't always the best idea, and it can lead to a lot of confusion.
0: That's an interesting one. So employees may think that once they successfully complete a probationary period, they're no longer at risk for termination,
2: Exactly. Employees may believe that they can't be terminated due to performance after they finish up their probationary period, or they may think that they can only be let go for good cause. And this misunderstanding can lead to an increased number of wrongful termination complaints.
1: Yeah, and I would also add here that um, in addition to the potential exposure to legal claims, probationary periods may also provide kind of an undesirable introduction to the company uh, and then also creates a negative connotation for some new hires who may mistakenly believe that they're immediately being placed on a disciplinary action plan or subject to some kind of harsher scrutiny at the start of their employment. Right. So we recommend as a best practice that you avoid using
2: probationary or introductory periods and in your terminology, and instead focus on working with all new hires to set clear performance goals and make sure that they have all of the tools and the resources that they need to meet their performance
1: expectations.
0: Okay. So I think we have time for one more example, Kristen. Do you want to take this one?
1: Uh, I do. So uh, recently, I had an employer whose employees were abusing their sick leave policy, and. They told me, uh, the employer told me that uh, someone told them that they could require a doctor's note for every sick day used in order to help reduce sick leave abuse. Well, I mean, most leave laws allow employers to ask employees for reasonable documentation. um, But, you know, of course, there are certain laws that have restrictions. So, for example, some paid sick leave laws prohibit employers from requesting documentation like a doctor's note, unless the employee has taken sick leave for more than three consecutive days. That's right. And even in the absence of a restriction,
2: you should really consider what, if any, documentation would be reasonable to require from your employees and then make sure that you're applying that policy consistently. So requiring employees to produce a doctor's note for every sick day may result more employees coming to work sick because they don't wanna go ahead and incur the cost of having to go to the doctor for a visit and get a note. Well, we definitely covered a lot of
1: misconceptions today.
2: Kristen and
0: Meryl, do you guys have any final advice for our listeners?
1: Uh, sure, so I think touching on what we talked about earlier, uh, I would say that if you're going to take it upon yourself to conduct your own research on various HR rules, you wanna at least make sure that you're getting information from trusted resources, and that the information that you're getting is current um, because the laws, rules, regulations are constantly changing. Um, And of course, the preferred approach would be to try and seek guidance from experienced counsel. And once you have that guidance and know the
2: law that applies to your business, just review your policies and your practices to make sure that they're consistent with all of the applicable laws.
0: Great. Thank you so much, Kristen and Merrill. We want to thank you all for listening to HRpreneur. I'm Kara Murray. For all the latest episodes, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts.